Y'all, welcome back to Kentucky Fried Wargaming, where two guys who aren't qualified to talk about anything decide to talk about a game with hard math and chance. I'm Joe. And I'm John. And this is going to be our first episode of this uh, casually focused podcast where we look at this Plastic Army Man game uh, with a little less salt than the competitive players and uh, more for the everyman. Because simply put, we are the everyman. Starting with our first episode, we thought we'd want to go kind of basic, you know? We're getting into a new edition of Warhammer 40k, which, I don't know about you, John, but I'm guessing might pull a fair number of new players into the hobby. And probably some older returning players as well. Yeah, and for people getting in or people coming back, there's now two viable options to hop in to a Games Workshop-based game. Right now, you really do have a choice between sci-fi or fantasy. So we thought we'd take a little bit of time to talk about that. I will start with saying that both games are good, and for fans of both who are absolute diehards, this is by no means us trying to crap on the game that you love, because, ah, spoiler alert, we, we love both of them too. We both play both of these games pretty religiously. Yeah, yeah. I've got a closet behind me that I'm glad I can't look at because it is shameful how much I have spent. And I know for a fact John's is worse because it's not even contained to a closet. Yeah, I've been playing the game for about 13 years. So between Warhammer Fantasy and now Age of Sigmar and 40k, I've played just about everything or at least read a book about one of them. Good lord. It's like looking into my future. I've been playing not quite that long. I think I'm going on two or three years now. I hopped in uh, just at 8th edition because uh, there was a new edition going on and that was the first time I really saw it. And that kind of led us to this episode because if it got me into it on 8th edition, I'm betting there's going to be a lot of folks like myself on 9th edition who kind of look at both of these covers and think both are cool, but have no idea how to get into them. So before we kind of deep dive on both of these things and we start giving our spicy, spicy hot takes, Don, I think it's probably appropriate if we give a little bit of outline of both, don't you think? Yeah, I think that's probably appropriate. Both are pretty expansive with their lore and setting, and uh, they're pretty daunting to get into. So if you just looked at it and went, oh, that's neat, this is probably a really good episode for you to listen to where you can just get a brief overview to... Just figure out about this one, and if you prefer one or it or both, or maybe we'll sway you to just play both, because you probably should. The bank account's going to beg to differ, but uh, I would like to push people to play both, only because I need more buds to play with. Well, I think we'll, we'll start with the one that I think is easiest for folks to relate to. We'll start with fantasy, or Games Workshop's setting specifically, Age of Sigmar. Now, I think this is an easier place to start if you're totally new to this thing, largely because you've got something else to look at to kind of get an idea of what this flavor is, if you'll allow me the term. So, if you have ever seen a Lord of the Rings movie, or The Hobbit for that matter, you've probably got a kind of basic idea of what Age of Sigmar is. It's a setting that's very high fantasy, where elves and dwarves and humans and goblins and much, much more all live amongst each other and fight for dominance in these different planes of existence. 
I guess to start out at the most basic, we'll start with the name, Age of Sigmar. Sigmar is a god. And in this setting, Sigmar is the god who survived the old world's destruction. As John referred to it a little bit earlier, Warhammer fantasy battles from, you know, his 13 years ago. Uh, that was a, a sort of fantasy game that Games Workshop ran for a long time and has more lore than you could ever read in a lifetime. Uh, and eventually it ended. And Age of Sigmar is a direct follow-up to that. So spoiler alert, that world ended uh, and we got some new one. So Sigmar himself made, well, I won't say made, he stumbled into this setting as we know it and started looking for the other gods. And there were other gods. Those gods then started to make underlings and make their own species to vie for dominance. And that's where the world largely sits now, is you are playing your different armies, fighting for land or power in the realms. So if you're looking to get into Age of Sigmar, you're probably wondering what you could play. And I'd recommend you just go to the Games Workshop website and start looking at stuff. Uh, but when you get there, you're going to see that stuff is, uh, it's kind of divided in ways that might not make sense to you. So I'm going to try to break it down. Uh, if you go to the website and you're looking at Age of Sigmar and you're looking to filter, they're going to separate out different armies by grand alliances. This is really just a super cool name for people who fight for the same side. These are folks who roughly are aligned in terms of a belief system. Uh, the one that I think we'll start with, because it's the easiest to get, is Order. When you look at Order, uh, you see a lot of guys in big metal armor and heroic stances that look like they'd look absolutely awesome on the side of a van from the 80s. And it would probably make you think they're the good guys, but not all of it is so simple. Order really just means that all of the races that belong to order want the realms to have some sort of structure. That structure might involve some horrible things happening, but they do believe there should be some structure. Uh, a couple of armies in order, just to give you an idea of what's going on. You got the Stormcast Eternals, which are god-steroided demigods who ride lightning down to the ground. Turbo Metal. They also have dragons. You know, big, big plus. Uh, they just recently came out with the Lumineth Realm Lords, which I have sold my kidney to buy. They're the High Elves that if you think of like Lord of the Rings, that opening scene with like the line of elves doing that cool upward slash at the orcs in unison. Yeah, it's exactly that. Super cool. You also could get a little weird with uh, the Seraphon. Space dinosaurs made out of light that are fighting against the Orders of Chaos, which we'll get to. And lastly, I think uh, another one that most people would be able to recognize is the Sylvaneth. Uh, naturistic tree folk fighting for the life of the realm itself, if not necessarily for humans. If that's your flavor, if you're for more of a cleaner sort of narrative or faction, that's probably going to be the spot that you want to take a look to see if there's an army that tickles your fancy. On the exact opposite end of that spectrum, from Order, their sworn enemy is the Factions of Chaos. And, oh buddy, that's a big one. Uh, um, so to put it in the easiest terms that I can, in this world, 
there are primordial forces, I won't say of evil, or the comments will tear me a new one, but primordial forces of gnarly stuff. And these forces make gods that now are eternal and push for their particular domains to happen. So, for example, we'll go through the four of them. You got Nurgle, the god of pestilence and famine. You've got Slanesh, the prince or princess of uh, excess and vanity and pleasure. Uh, Zinch, the god of magic and change and intrigue. And lastly, Korn, who is all about blood and honor and martial prowess. You've probably heard the term blood for the blood god, uh, skulls for the corn cob or whatever it is a couple of times. But those forces make up chaos and then all of their underlings. Each god is going to have their own demons that you can look at, uh, which are little pieces of themselves, uh, sort of like mini ideas of themselves. If you're into like one god super hardcore in their particular aesthetic, the demons is probably going to be a good place to look because they're very on key. Like whatever that brand is for that god, the demons are going to be on it. And I'm sure John will expounds on it a little more in the sci-fi section, but I will mention you can play these demons in both settings. Each god also has mortal followers. Uh, people who, through promises of power or a trickery, have worshipped these chaos gods and have become warped by their presence. Well, all of them except for Slanesh. Those mortals are missing. Talking to you, GW. But I bet they're probably coming in the future. And if you, those are sort of an interesting fusion of man and abyssal horrors of various varieties. I will tell you, some of those newer models, like the, uh, the Putrid Blight Kings, are freaking awesome. You'll know pretty quickly whether or not Chaos is for you, because it's pretty particular. But fear not. If you have looked at Order and went, mmm, too shiny and you looked at Chaos and went, eh, too edgy. There are still two other Grand Alliances that might be for you. First, we'll go into death. For when you want to be emo and not just at edgy. Well, yeah, we leave edgy to turbo edgy. I guess I lied. Death is everything that died but has not stopped moving, and that's problematic. In death, you have Nagash, who's this super cool model. He's a god of death itself. And then you have all of his legions that serve him. It's a pretty huge model range, ranging everything from zombies to skeletons up to rotting dragons. There's an army of ghosts that can fly through walls and stuff. There's some skeletons made out of bones who wear bones and use bones as weapons. If you like bones, there's bones. Yeah, it, it's it's a faction that's received a lot of new releases over the last couple of years um, with new factions. So that's also a huge plus of like that specifically. Yeah, I, for sure. And also in the narrative currently, they are sort of the big problem right now. So you, if you play Death, you probably have the spotlight at least for a little while. So worth considering. But then you have the last faction and my favorite faction destruction and destruction really it's quantified by everything that doesn't belong anywhere else um these are things who don't believe that the realm should be ordered in any way 
They don't really think they should rule, but they definitely do, don't think that you should rule. Um, so they kind of oppose everyone equally. They will happily punch Sigmar in the face while giving Nagash a swirly. No problem. These really, these races are usually the wild races, as you would imagine. Uh, so orcs fall in this category of a couple different varieties. Goblins fall in this category with all of their LSD glory. Uh, you also have ogres, whose only goal in life is to tramp is to have a rampage across the lands to find chicken tendies and Coca-Cola. And I gotta be honest, I can't help but like them the most because they're simple men after my own heart. Destruction, I will warn, doesn't have a ton of support at the moment, but if rumors are to be believed, they might be the next big bad after this whole death faction war has died down, which I think might be coming to a close this year. So who knows, maybe there will be a ton of destruction support upcoming. If you look at their models, some of them are just amazing. Uh, in particular, there's a model called a Stonehorn that is. 10 out of 10. And most of those destruction armies are fairly beginner friendly. Also a safe place to start, depending on what flavor you're looking for. That kind of sums up the factions themselves and what you've got to pick from. Uh, and as I said earlier, the game is just about these folks fighting each other. Uh, there's an ongoing narrative that we'll dig into at a later date, but all you really need to know is that there are different realms of different elements Different races of take up these realms, and everybody wants what everybody else has. And if you're into seeing a bunch of weird species sling lightning bolts and fireballs to take that, well, I think fantasy might be for you. John, what do you think about sci-fi, though? I mean, if that's sort of the primer for fantasy, in the broadest strokes possible, what do you think makes sci-fi sort of unique in terms of its setting and what's sort of similar so the wonderful thing about sci-fi uh whether it's 40k or other forms of sci-fi is that it is a futuristic fantasy of sorts of what if this happens in the far-off future when we can see the stars when we start exploring the unknown but with 40k specifically its similarities to fantasy are, are pretty evident like, the parallels between, say, Stormcast Eternals and Space Marines in 40k, which we'll get into in just a second, are very clearly there. Or the closest one that you can share in both is the concept of the Chaos Gods. Uh, they exist in both settings. They're fairly similar to each other in both settings. The warp is also very similar in both settings, the realm in which they are from. But specifically about 40k, it's a difficult to do a broad stroke answer about this is the setting of Warhammer 40k because it has decades of lore. It's been around since the 1980s. Some stuff's been retcons. Some stuff has been brought to the forefront. But the most interesting thing about the setting is that it keeps its continuity by most things or by a first person account. It's not reading a historical document about a very specific set of wars in a sector. It's all done through the guise of a space marine or an inquisitor or a guardsman or, or these everyday people. And so the lore can change in a more natural progression. But let's, let's try our best to get into what is 40k. 
Whew, I'm just going to go take my nap while you do this one. Yeah. Good lord. Uh, so 40k, uh, when you get to the nitty gritty, is humanity out in the stars of the Milky Way galaxy fighting off all sorts of different possible threats. Whether it's traveling through space itself and where they dip into the hell-like realm of the warp to travel, or it's agri-worlds that are just giant farm worlds that get attacked by space bugs. There's all sorts of things in this setting, but we'll try to break it apart in the same way GW does on their website for when you go to pick a faction to get into this game, similar like Job suggested as Rage of Sigmar. You go to their website and you look at their four big things. It's kind of split up between Space Marines, Armies of the Imperium, Xenos, and Chaos. And uh, we'll start off with Space Marines. Space Marines are these superhuman, larger-than-life characters. Each one of them's a walking army that can take on everything. They're called the Angels of Death. Uh, they fight for humanity. They are just these crazy, super-powerful warriors. They separate them away from the armies of the Imperium because there's so many different chapters of them, so many different flavors that you can find something that you're into with the Space Marines pretty easily. Yeah, it's like going to a Golden Corral buffet. You kind of can't walk away without something. And it, it goes far enough to where almost everyone who's played 40k has played Space Marines at some point or has some Space Marines. They're, they are generally the most popular faction in the game. With just decades of lore, decades of novels, you can lose yourself in that specific faction if you wanted to. Armies of the Imperium, though, uh, touches on things like the Inquisition, which is a bunch of Think of religious CIA, um, and then you have Guardsmen, which is like this intergalactic army of sorts with different regiments from different worlds, with different cultures that form its traditions and, and military practices. Uh, you have Sisters of Battle, which are these religious, all-female space-fighting nuns that are devoted utterly to the Emperor and his mission and his guiding principles and defend humanity for the sake of divinity that they believe is the God Emperor. Uh, you have armies of chaos, which are demons and that follow the four chaos gods, as Joe explained, and, uh, you know, ancient space marines that have been corrupted by the forces of chaos or new renegade space marines that have been corrupted by the forces of chaos or a mixture of the two um, that's very common in Chaos is to kind of mix those things together. There's a ton of lore to fall into that. There's a entire book series about how we even got Chaos Space Marines. Yeah, what is what book is it up to, John? Uh, the Horus Heresy is the story about it. But what are we up to, like book 58? Yeah, it's like, well, it's like 53. And then there's a second series about specifically the Siege of Terra, but... I'm sure we'll get into that in a later episode. There's a lot here. Ooh, yeah. And then we have the Xenos. Uh, Xenos are kind of the catch-all for 40k. You have stuff in there like the walking space skeletons made of metal named Necrons. Um, you have space high elves that are all about self-control and dealing with their own desires and emotions. Uh, that's what the Eldar. You have, you know, the opposite of them, the dark elves of space. Dark Eldar that live in a pocket dimension where they torture people and get slaves and they're really crazy. And then you've got, you know, other things like Tyranids, um, space bugs. 
Yeah, if you've ever seen Starship Troopers, uh, they're basically those. <laughs> the bugs from Starship Troopers. Hey, y'all, space bugs! Uh, you have Gene Stealer Cult that also work with Tyranids that are humans who are cultists for the space bugs because they think that they're Elder Gods. Yeah, they're people who really liked watching Starship Troopers. And... I think the last Xenos faction is Orcs, which are, I'm sure you've probably heard of Orcs. They're also a very popular faction outside of the game community. Uh, they're kind of the comical joke of the community. They have some serious stuff, but for the most part, they're like, silly human. And they can th- make things happen from sheer force of will. Like, they believe this car works because they painted it red. And so that means it goes really fast. Yeah, you could try to explain to them that... You know, that car is missing an engine, and all they've done is put a coconut in there, but they're too dumb to confuse. And if you're wanting just a little bit of casually horrific fun, man, 40k orcs, right on the money. Um, But that's kind of like the the closest I can give you to a broad strokes point of view of 40k. What we'll go into next uh, is we'll touch back on some fantasy here with Age of Sigmar about some touchstones to help you kind of pick... Things that you might like outside of this game that might help you pick a thing in here. And some similarities that we've noticed. Yeah, so for me at least, I like to get into big settings like this through books. I've always been a bit of a a bookworm myself, so anytime I can find a novel that kind of lays it all out for me, it's very helpful. Uh, And... The book series that helped me when I first got into Age of Sigmar would be uh, The Realmgate Wars. This is kind of like how John mentioned the the Horus Heresy. Uh, it's like that minus the 40-something books, <laughs> which makes it much more appealing to kind of hop into. Uh, and I think just about anybody who's kind of interested in this fantasy world can read the first installment and have a great time. You know, it is the introduction of these giant armor-clad demigods on lightning fighting a bunch of corn-infused demon worshippers. And it's it's a hell of a brawl. If you're looking to kind of just barely dip your toe in to see if it's for you, I think that's probably the best place to start without being a little confused. What about you, John? What would be your top pick for starting out in 40k? So, um, for starting on 40k, I think that uh, the series I can best suggest is the Eisenhorn series. It's a trilogy. Uh, it's been written a little bit ago. And it touches on an Inquisitor dealing with his own life and what he's been dealing with as an Inquisitor. Um, and you get to see kind of the fundamental building blocks for the Imperium. And, like, why it is the way it is, or how stuff works, and how it differs from, like, our world, or what you would expect from most sci-fi settings. And it also touches on a lot of the other threats, whether it's Xenos or Chaos. It kind of touches on multitudes, or sometimes even the threat from within. And it touches on a little bit more of the, less of what we call bolter porn, the action sequences, but more of the psychological, philosophical nature to the setting uh, that is so common in the more recent narrative for both of these games, where they talk about the the con- the ramifications of what these things are, less of big gun go shoot shoot. And that'd be my suggestion for books, at least. Now, let's go ahead and switch over to pros and cons of Age of Sigmar, Joe. Sell it, sell it to me. Pretend I'm the listener. Sell me on the pros and cons of Age of Sigmar. Forget that I already play it. All right. 
Well, if I'm selling it to you, you can play a bunch of cocaine-addicted magic rats that love garbage. And my pitch is done. Did that sell it to you, John? Oh, yeah, I'm sold. Uh, okay, very good. For the listeners at home that don't know, I play Skaven. They're my favorite faction in Age of They're fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Any time that there's some garbage creature in any game setting, I could pretty much convince John to play that game with me. But for people who have a little higher taste than my buddy here, I think Age of Sigmar has a couple of very strong benefits. Over 40k specifically. My first and foremost is, if you like the idea of an army getting in close with hammers and swords and brass knuckles and you know really mixing it up in combat hand to hand man age of sigmar is the place to be as you can imagine in games like 40k where everybody has machine guns and tanks have giant laser guns and there are skyscrapers sized robots with like school bus size miniguns there's a lot of bullets flying around, and if you're trying to, like, punch somebody in the face with your army, you're just gonna get shot a lot. In Age of Sigmar, not the case, you know? There's a bigger emphasis on melee combat, and if that's something that you're into, this is a good place to be. I would also note that 40k has a little bit of melee, but John, would you agree that it's a little less prominent there? For the most part, yeah. I think that it's much less prominent than it would be in Age of Sigmar. Uh, but if that's still your flavor, there's absolutely some some things you can get into there with 40k. But be prepared to also have to deal with a lot of bullets and a lot of tanks and that kind of thing. But if ranged is your jam, there's some definite factions in 40k that their entire focus is pretty much shooting gun at the enemy and <laughs> letting them not get to them. Yeah, uh, I think... Tau, in particular, are an example of an army that just shoots gun um, very, very efficiently. Uh, and we don't have a whole lot of those equivalents of Age of Sigmar. So if that's your particular style of gameplay, I'd say give that a look. Also, I think one of the pros of Age of Sigmar is just the high fantasy setting in general. So in this setting, the worlds themselves... Oh, I'm sorry. The planes of existence themselves are seeped in magic. Uh, and it just spills out of everything around. And that means that if you really like the idea of a bunch of wizards slinging heinous spells, Age of Sigmar is very good at that. In 40k, you could also cast what they call psychic powers that are kind of like the spells. But Age of Sigmar has cranked this up to 11 and broke the knob off. There are spells in Age of Sigmar that are so powerful that they stay around on the board as a physical manifestation of power. Uh, for example, there's a spell called Ravenash, Ravenash's Gnashing Jaws, I think. I probably butchered that. It's close enough. It's super metal. That sounds right. But you cast it, and then you take a mini of this big ethereal chompy mouth, and you put it on the table, and you move it across the table. To eat other armies, because your magic is so powerful that it just doesn't go away. And that's kind of hard to compete with if somebody is super into the magic flavor and wants to get in on that in an, on an army. So I think the third, I will say tentatively, 
because uh, I don't think this is as concrete as the first two, which I think are kind of harder uh, to debate. But at least for me, Age of Sigmar is easier to wrap your head around. And it's for the simple reason that, as John mentioned, 40k has been going on for, oh god, 20 years or more, and they've come out with a million and one books for the setting, and things have changed over that course of time, and that could be kind of hard, for me at least, to to get into and fully absorb. Whereas Age of Sigmar, this is its fifth year anniversary, it's not nearly as much to digest so i don't feel like i'm trying to drink from a fire hose for age of sigmar which while for some people that's what they want i would prefer a kind of smaller setting that i can ease my toes into all right john now i do believe it's your turn to sell me on this lightly used 2007 40k so do you like the sound of big boys with big feelings I do like the sound of my own voice, yes. Uh, because that is a good 60% of Warhammer 40k. Um, it's about... There's no two ways about it. There's a lot about Space Marines. If Space Marines are your jam, chances are, even if you play one of the Xenos factions, you're going to find out some stuff about Space Marines. And they are big boys with big feelings. Yeah, I think that that's unavoidable. Uh, they, are, they are everywhere in the setting, and you just got to get used to them. And... The other thing about 40k that I find to be a pro, as opposed to Joe's con with it, is that you can delve super deep into this thing and just keep finding more. Like, once you think you know everything about Space Marines, either they come out with a new book or you just find something about Space Marines you didn't know, which is super interesting. It allows you to kind of have an unending kind of conversation or engagement with other people that are in the hobby about stuff. And not just talk about the rules or the, you know, the tips and tricks for painting the miniatures but you can also talk about like hey i read this thing in this book that was interesting and changing with like how we know how this works and that's that's super fun that's super cool but what that also can be a con um one of the other cons of 40k is that some of the stuff is clearly dated some of the the stuff that they wrote for you know in the 80s and 90s is very much a product of the 80s and 90s and some of the models that came out there are still around today and being used, which in some ways are cool, but they are, we're waiting for some updates. So be aware that when you're getting into 40 K, you are going to be dealing with some stuff that might just be a little bit older and you might have to, it might not appeal to you, but there's a lot there. So if there's something you don't like, you can probably find something else that you do like. And overall the, the setting has a lot going for it, but if you're easily overwhelmed with a game, not just from rules, but rules can overwhelm you pretty well. There's, I think there's more rules to 40k than there are rules to Age of Sigmar. Yeah, that's fair. The lore itself can be a bit overwhelming, but I do suggest that you maybe dip in with a story or a faction, because you also don't need to know everything about the setting to enjoy it. You can just read the books about your dudes and be happy, or only play one faction with those dudes and build and paint them and tell your own story. Um, because I personally think another pro of 40k is because it's so expansive and there's so much stuff, they leave a lot of open space for you to create your own space marine chapters or guard regiments or Eldar craft worlds and write your own story within the setting to share with the friends that you're going to play the game with. Um, and I think that's possible in AOS, but I think it's less so because of how new the game is. A lot of people want to stick to the closer 
like relatable things because there's not that deep level of understanding. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. And also, while you were talking, you mentioned that uh, you could sort of make your own Space Marines and stuff at 40k, which uh, reminded me, I'm gonna give, I'm just gonna hand John another pro here. Um, if you're someone who really likes making your own story in your head, your own narrative, you like telling yourself your own little tales, 40k is probably better at doing that in a- than Age of Sigmar. And I say that because of some stuff that has been revealed in the new edition that we referenced at the beginning of the show. Um, they're switching to a new rulebook and they're overhauling everything. And one of the systems that they're adding here in the next couple weeks is the Crusade system. Am I correct on that, John? Yeah, it's the Crusade system. It's uh, the most expansive campaign rules set for running an army through a series of like miniatures campaigns that they've had since Rogue Trader, which is like from the 80s or early 90s or something like that. It's it's pretty insane. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, you could take your little group of, we'll say in my case, I play Blood Angels. So my little group of Blood Angels and I, you know, start to play games and I can use that system to write a story for my army. Yeah, I may have characters die. I may get new characters. Some characters may not die, but are so badly wounded, I have to put them in a walking battle coffin called a dreadnought. That's a great system to make your army feel like it's yours and like you're telling a story with them rather than just doing some creative math on a table. Um, and while Age of Sigmar is just now previewing the idea of making your own hero. This new crusade system is sounds just so wild in a way cool that I'm putting it in the pro column for 40k for other narrative nerds like myself. Yeah, both me and Joe here are very much lore and narrative driven players. We like the rules. We'll talk about rules all day. We'll probably touch on rules a little bit here, but for the most part, we like to play around with the stories and the narratives what's going on. Yeah, I'd say when John and I sit down to play a game, there's about two hours of game and an hour or more of us debating on, oh, what's going on at Objective 1? Are they trying to hack a computer? Are they trying to defend this grade silo? And trying to justify every action. So for other people who are similar, this is, you know... That's a great way to hop in. And it also allows you to kind of start small and build up over time as you figure out if this is something that you're really into. Yeah, they've, they've, they've kind of made it to where you can start with a start collecting box and really just go from there, which is really useful for someone new to the game. It hasn't always been that way, and I think now is probably the best time to be getting into 40k. Uh, I can just say from my short perspective, it is better to get it now than it was when I started in 8th. Like, I think it's it's an improvement because uh, this hobby isn't incredibly cheap. So to be able to start kind of small and see if it's your shtick, uh, I think that's that's pretty great. It's definitely a sort of investment, I should say. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. 
I think that it's absolutely worth the time and money, though. The You will spend a lot of time painting and, and writing narrative and playing games with your buds. Once you have it, you've got it. You don't need to buy it again. Yeah, I think that's a secondary pro for both of these. For someone who's debating on getting in on either of these games, we already referenced the Games Workshop website and stuff, and you know, you're probably going to go on there and you're going to look around to see if any army kind of catches your eye uh and what's definitely going to catch your eyes the price tags and i would just say that one of the pros of these games is all of the secondary fun that comes with them both uh both in reading the lore and getting to build these little models and getting to paint the models however you want which is a lot more time of entertainment than you might get just out of playing the game so i'm gonna put that in the pro column for both John, you got any other, like, burning pros or cons? Burning a hole in your pocket over there? Uh, no, not really. I think that we've pretty much heavily sold it one way or the other. But uh, something I wanted to touch on a little bit as we're starting to, you know, close our way out of this episode is uh, if you like this, we'll be touching more on how you as a newer player can be getting back into the game or getting back into the game, or get into the game for the first time, and some really nice stuff to do. Oh, yeah. And you can engage with us, and we, we'll talk with you. We, I'm sure I can speak with J- for Joe here for a little bit. Uh, we love getting new players in the game. We <laughs> converted all of our friends into this game with uh, us. That's true. I, sometimes I feel like a shady drug dealer. You know, your first army's free. Let me just give you some models and see if you like it. Uh, I don't. I don't feel bad at all. I... I do sometimes because I understand the financial impact that I have had on my good good friends, but you know, in the end, it pays off for me because I got more people to play with. Um, so yeah, I we really have a great time getting folks in, and honestly, we had been kicking around this little podcast thing for a long time, and uh, we kind of were we were deciding we probably weren't going to do it because we didn't think anybody would like it and whatnot, but. Then we figured there might be a couple of folks who could use a little bit of guiding and we just couldn't help ourselves but to take the opportunity. So, you know, if this if this one goes well, we'll be putting out more to help you get into it a little bit down the line. Uh, you know, how to get into the narrative, how to keep up with the narrative, armies and all of that good stuff. But as for the topic of this episode, I think we have to come up with the definitive answer, John, and I think it'll shock them. So sci-fi. Fantasy, which one is better? All right, I'm going to count from one to three, and on three, we give our answer. On three. One, two, three. Both. Both. Hey, I was a little quicker. Uh, But yeah, y'all, like, there is, there's no other answer here other than both. Like, both of these games are so cool for their own unique reasons, and... Uh, if you are even remotely interested in either setting, I would recommend just giving it a whirl because they're both cool for their own very unique reasons. Uh, and if you're wanting to try it, but not so big, there are skirmish games out there in these settings that are smaller formats of Age of Sigmar and 40k. So if you're like, a, if you're kind of interested in Age of Sigmar, but our pitch wasn't enough to totally sell you, maybe look into a game called Warcry. That's a smaller version of Age of Sigmar where a small little warband skirmishes with other little gangs rather than full armies. And uh, 
John, you've played more Kill Team than me, but would you recommend that for a new player getting into the 40k? I would. Um, currently, though, I'm a little mixed on it. Uh, Kill Team is a very good and cheap way of getting into the game. Do not get me wrong. The rules are a bit complicated, about as complicated as 40k. But I think also, going into 9th edition, another really good way of starting to get in the game is buying a start collecting kit and playing this new smaller game that they're starting to pitch, uh, where you play at a much lower point value or power level, and play some games with your buddy, or somebody you know, or go to a store and try out a test game. If you know somebody that you can play with, ask them to maybe like run you through a, a small game, but give it a shot. Like if, if you're on the fence, I say, go for it, give it a shot. The worst thing that happens is you have to sell some of the models back, or you have some cool figures to put on your desk. I think it's worth it. I think it's worth a shot. It's the game's brought me lots of value and lots of entertainment, things to talk about. And I think that it's good for most people. But that's just my personal opinion. What about you, Joe? I agree with that. Uh now that they got this little 500 point game coming out for 40k, uh maybe you won't maybe Kill Team won't be as popular. But again, I would just say if you're even a little interested, give it a try, y'all. It's it's not as hard as it looks, I promise. Uh, there are all sorts of resources online. If us two yahoos can figure it out, I can guarantee you there are some pros out there on YouTube teaching people how to play. And I know there are because I watch them. So don't be too nervous. Just jump on in and and see if you like it. Uh, and if you liked this and you made it through 45 minutes of us chatting a whole lot about little plastic army dudes... Uh, maybe keep an eye out for our uh, next episode that we'll have coming up next week. And uh, I would really like to keep this up. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm excited to do more of it with you, and maybe I can meet some of you players and play some games with you in the future. Who knows? Uh, there. That's really our, alter- our ulterior motive, getting more people to play with. Yeah, yeah, I just absolutely need more people to play this stupid game with. But I've been John. And I've been Joe. And that's all of our opinions, bona fide Kentucky Fried. We'll see y'all next time. See ya.